So, good evening and welcome to Love the Words here at East Leeds FM. Um, tonight I'm going to be interviewing a writer who uh, I've admired for years, came to the chapel uh, a long time ago, too long ago, uh, Matt Black. Hello, Matt. Hello, Peter. Lovely to be with you. And um, uh, yes, it was a long time ago. And at that time I lived in Sheffield. I now live in Leamington Spa, so yeah. I'm further south. And uh, yes, is what's it like down there? It's it's busy. It's nice to be near Birmingham and Coventry. Uh, though I do miss the uh, the, the famous and completely uh, real that uh, Sheffield folk have. So, any reason to move down there? Was it work, personal? It it was love. <laughs> the best reason. <laughs> That's a very good reason to move anywhere. I'm going to read yeah. um, a, a, a quote about you, which may embarrass you, but I, I, in, it's, it's in a good cause. That sounds promising. <laughs> Matt Black's writing <laughs> is intense, detailed and deeply original, frisky and funny and sad. Brilliant. By Ru Ruth Padell, that quote. Well... That, that's delightful, and uh, I am a bit embarrassed, but also uh, pleased that you've reminded me of that quote. Uh, it was in relation to a sort of slightly bonkers prose poem novella that I wrote, uh, set on some allotments in Sheffield. Um, and the main character was called Esther. He was a character that was a real-life person on the allotments and every time you saw him coming down between the privet hedges he would stop you and say Esther put your spuds in yet Esther up your brussels <laughs> and uh, so he became Esther so yes. Matt first of all I rather than sort of you know give a kind of resume of of your fascinating wonderful website just tell <laughs> us a little about the range of of work uh, that you are currently doing um, well, obviously things have changed slightly, but I'm still thundering on and trying to adapt to the current circumstances. Uh, I was due to go out on the road with a one-man show um, called The Snoopy Question uh, this year, and I had uh, about 20 shows lined up, um, and I was going to Edinburgh with it. Uh, and it's a show inspired by dogs, and uh, the central character thinks that dogs have the answer to everything, possibly gets quite carried away, ends up thinking that he might in fact be turning into a dog. Uh, but he's rescued from this, uh, this uh, foolishness by his girlfriend um, near the end of the show. Um, but the show also... Uh, was inspired by some poems that I wrote, which are part of a book that's coming out this year, which is um, called Sniffing Lampposts by Moonlight. So that, that part of the whole project is going ahead and um, that will be coming out. So I'm adapting how I get the book out there. And, I mean, in terms of, yeah, the range of work that you have been doing for a while i mean it's a, would it would it be right to say it's a mixture of of commissioned commissioned work and kind of community writing would that be right to say um yes it, that's completely true it's sort of moved more towards commission work over the last five to ten years i suppose um and uh, some of it has been university commission work, other has been councils and uh, all the usual suspects. Uh, but I've found that just immensely rewarding, uh, having spent a lot of time. I think I loved going into schools for, for quite a long time, but then age and stage does catch up with you eventually. And... Uh, it, it became good for me to, I didn't really have the energy to do uh, consistently the amount of work in schools that I had been doing. So commissions came for me at a good time for my, both for my uh, creative self and for my body. 
Yes, I totally relate to working in schools. I th- I, and, and what you're saying about that, I think I, th- I, mean, I think as a writer, uh, doing a whole day in a school is is actually is is wonderful in if it goes well. But but even if it's wonderful, it, it is exhausting. Um, and uh, it, yeah, would you say you're a poet predominantly? And I know you're a dramatist as well. Yes, well, I used to be more or less exclusively a poet. And then about uh, five years ago, I wrote a play. um, And I'd always been a sort of performance poet. So to some extent, I'd dramatised some of my work. Uh, And then since writing the play, I've written this one-man show. So I'm becoming keener and keener on on dramatised work. partly because I just love the theatre and I love those audiences as well. And I love the uh, the energy of it is different. So, Matt, just tracking back to the beginning of your working life, um, how did you start oh, out? <laughs> you can remember that. <laughs> you are going a long way. In, in terms of, yeah, how did you start off doing what you're doing? Um. I'd always written as a as a teenager. I started writing fairly furiously when I was about 13 or 14. Um, and I still have notebooks and notebooks of poems, fantastically derivative. I mean, I, I read them occasionally. I dip into them and have a look. And there's some pure Dylan Thomas uh there's some pure um what's the album some pure bob dylan uh inspired poems uh there's some roger mcgoff uh so all men at, at that stage uh and um and, and that was really because i was quite a shy teenager and i loved poems from the age of about 5 or 6 and i also think it was because i had uh, very little emotional uh, communication with my parents um, and I now see that as a sort of uh, generational thing to some extent they weren't particularly communicative um, on an emotional level uh, but they were wonderful in, in many ways and um, I've kind of accepted all of that and accepted the richness of their parenting um, and even accepted the fact that because they weren't that communicative emotionally, that sent me to poetry and that has been an absolute joy for me for um, most of my life. And and was it something that you set out to do as a job? Did you did you consider that no. or was it something? Yeah. How did that happen? No. No, <laughs> no, I didn't go to the careers office and they said, I think you should be a poet. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, oh, no, I can't see any jobs there. <laughs> uh, I uh, didn't really, it never really clicked in my brain that you could actually be a poet. Uh, but then I did a late degree and in my second or third year, I'd been sort of consistently getting involved in live events in Sheffield. There was a wonderful thing called the Friday Show, which was a cabaret um, at the Leadmill. Uh, and every Friday night uh, there was a show. And then on Saturday morning, you'd be given, the people who were writing for the show were given the subject for the following Friday's show. Sunday, you had to take your piece and be auditioned. And then on Monday, you had to rehearse. It was a really quite intense, hothouse um, way of working. Uh, So I got very involved in writing um, in the city. And then while I was at college uh, doing my late degree and I was about 30, in the third year, I was putting on quite a lot of events. And just off, out of the kindness of their hearts, the English department said to me, oh, we're going to pay you um, because you're we've never done this before but then uh nobody's ever put events on for us like this in the same way before so i said okay yes that'd be that'd be great thank you uh and the little sort of light bulb clicked on in my brain and went oh oh that's interesting i'm, I'm gonna need some money 
uh, and uh, I sort of got involved in teaching and then in schools work and um, I'd always been taught by my parents to uh, find ways of making money and I've always had a degree of pragmatism in the way that I've tackled making money as a poet that's interesting I, I mean in terms of let's talk about that a bit because uh, yeah how, how how did that pragmatism sort of like manifest itself did you I mean obviously we, we we all have to have a kind of mixed ecology of 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 work yeah to make things one of uh, well the ways that yeah the ways that come to mind are um I once I started to get schools work and I really enjoyed it uh, by that time I had children and I knew that I had to have a certain level of income um, and so I just did a very quick calculation I was doing work for I was doing um, writing workshops for uh, the WEA and the university and one or two other organizations um, but, you know, they were paying whatever it was, £15 an hour, and you'd get a fee for two hours, uh, and you'd do the prep, and you'd do the, if there was work to look at. And I quickly went, I'm going to struggle to make a living if I don't just concentrate on schools. Um, so I, I quickly emphasised my work in schools, and then I quickly thought... How am I going to be distinctive in schools? So I started to think about um, wheezes, really, and I came up with a poetry jukebox wheeze, uh, which was a sort of it was a converted toilet tent, Peter. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, but it was <laughs> what I think of it as the Rolls Royce of toilet tents. It was um, I don't think you can get them anymore. It was a beautiful deep green canvas toilet tent, and I still have it. Um, and uh, uh, that that did me proud. That's... Oh, and the other thing I did was, yeah, I uh, got I talked to some teachers and I said, "How will I get my message out that I am available to the most teachers?" And one of them said, "Ah, what you could do is go to a I think it was called a curriculum enrichment day, uh, and." She gave me the curriculum officer's person. I don't think I don't know if they still have that. I don't think they do. Um, and uh, so I was able to go and, and show my wares to about twenty five English teachers at the same time, and that got got me work for the next couple of years. And it sort of snowballed from there. Yeah. Before we have some music from you, I mean, can I can I ask probably an obvious question, but I mean, it it it, it is a question that some people might ask. What's the value? of of the kind of work that we do in schools to children the, the work that i mostly do is inspiring young people to write uh that's sort of the 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 excuse if you like but it's really about um it's about relationship it's about expression it's about freedom um it's about giving young people a voice and saying to them, you know, uh, when you're writing with me, you don't need to be worried about your grammar or about your spelling. You're writing your own ideas. Um, and it's about giving people the uh, permission to use their own voices i think that's um you know i think it's i think it's really important that when you're for me when i'm working with children and young people that you find a way to let them know that their own voices count and that you're not asking them to write in a way that that you you want them to write to, to jump through the correct hoop uh for for me but but for the way that they want to write something about themselves great and eloquently put and uh, the more you're talking there uh, the more fervently you are putting that i i, ah, I, I thought it, how... it, it's 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 a bee in my bonnet well <laughs> yes i thought how, how sad it is that that, that we that, ha, that the the difficulty has been there recently 
in terms of getting into schools and working. But in um, a, a brief pause for yes, some music. Yes, I mean, you do. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Sorry, I was going to into, go into a rant then about schools, but I think let's go on to music. <laughs> My first bit of music, um, I've, I've thought two pieces of music. One's going to be love, one's going to be anger. Uh, the the twin flavors of my life, um, and um, so the first piece of music is by Public Image Limited, and it's Rise, which includes that one. Anger is an energy. I could be wrong. I could be right.
So, Matt, in terms of 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 people who've helped you along the way in any way at all to become what you are and, and help you do what you do, any 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 mentors, any significant figures for you? Uh, I think there's one poet who's been very very inspirational who didn't mentor me but I went to see uh, who was John Agard um, who um, whose work for me straddles uh, work that is effective on page as well as as being performed um, he seems to do that more consistently than anybody else I know um, and it's full of wonderful sort of oral rhythms and repetitions and joining in and joy and anger and a fantastic poet. Um, and the other person was uh, somebody who I was lucky enough to have as a mentor, uh, who was Gerard Benson um, mm. from uh, Bradford, um, who sadly uh, died two or three years ago. Um and Gerard helped to mentor me in writing uh, my book for children um, called Goblin in the Fridge. Um, and he gave me lots of uh, fabulous uh, advice uh, and, and with, with a twinkle in his eye and a, a sense of joy and restraint and that I felt honoured to be part of, really. The, the advice which I still treasure the way that he told me he said I, I wish you you don't need to write quite so many poems including the word banana Matt <laughs> well I might I hadn't realised there were there were only four or five <laughs> and I'd sent him about a hundred poems but it was delightful so yes in terms of I, I've asked this question of several people I've interviewed. If if you're at a at a at a, a kind of social event with people who you don't know and maybe aren't part of this world that you and I are in in terms of the arts and working in a participatory kind of way, and somebody says, "So, Matt, what do you do?" What do you say? Uh, uh, um, well, I say that I'm a poet and I sometimes say that I'm not just a poet but I'm a, I sometimes say well I'm not a la-di-da poet I'm more of a words worker uh, which I think is a, a useful way of sort of deconstructing um, the la-di-da out of the poetry word um, and uh, try and explain a little bit about how words and working with words and working with the imagination is a way of empowering people really uh, and talk a little bit about how our identities are bound up with our ability to express ourselves um, but you know it depends on the context you need to throw in a joke as well every now and then yeah people uh, most people completely understandably don't know that much about the huge amount of work that uh, poets and writers are actively engaged in I think that's true Matt and I it, it it sometimes worries me that that that's the case and that we maybe should do more could do more to let to tell those stories about the what we do um, because yeah, as soon as I yeah. start telling people in a in a pub or somewhere or at a social event, they go, "Oh, that sounds interesting." I didn't realise that kind of thing yeah. happened. Have you written much? Just as a matter of interest, before we um, we will have to stop in a minute, unfortunately. But is it, have you written much about what you do? About what I do? Yes, what, in terms in... of you know, rather in a, in a, a sort of written version of what we're talking about now, just for a more general public. I'm interested. I haven't actually, and that's a really interesting. Um thought yeah i'd like to do that that's uh, that's a really interesting thought I, well i i'm on i'm on a bit of a mission i've been trying to do a bit of that but also i just urging people like us to to to, to do that because i i do think we have a uh, you know a strong case to make for the work we do especially at the moment which leads me on to 
finally where we are at the moment in the world and and where we are with the whole you know corona crisis and so on and the, and the, and the future of the kind of work we do how, how how do you see the future of 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 yeah of people like us writers artists of all kinds doing the kind of work we do are you are you optimistic not so optimistic where are you at this moment i'm i'm i although although it's cloudy i am completely optimistic because uh since the very 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 dawn of everything we have been storytellers and um and we will continue to be so and we will continue to need to tell our stories and whatever makes it more difficult um makes it makes it more necessary really and um you know the the harder it is the harder we will push i'm I'm quite sure uh and it may only be hard in certain ways you know people constantly adapt and people have adapted really quickly to um what's happened in some amazing ways um and we'll carry on adapting i'm quite quite sure so matt before we 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 have to to leave you um where can we find your work? And also, is there anything at the moment we should know about, about what you're doing and what's coming up? Um, the easiest way to find my work is by looking on my website, which is www.matt-black.co.uk. Um, and there are some examples of my work on there. And there are also uh, lists of books which are available. Um, and in terms of uh, what I've got coming up, um, yes, my collection of poems about dogs <laughs> will be out soon. Uh, Sniffing Lamppost by Moonlight from Upside Down Books. Uh, so uh, do be looking out for that. And also anybody out there who fancies writing a poem inspired by their dog or another dog, um, have a look in the next few weeks, uh, if you remember, uh, for a Facebook page called The Dog Poet, where I will be inviting people to send in their short haikus. They're going to be haikus. <laughs> it's a haiku, but it's a chew for a dog as well. Great stuff. As I say, thanks very much, Matt. Before we go, another piece of music, please. Ah, oh, yes. So the last piece of music was... Um, anger inspired this one is uh love inspired and it's uh jeepster by t-rex which is my my song for myself and my partner girl i'll be a jeepster for your love <laughs> Oh, good.
Love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto e a chuva cai. You are listening to Love the Words with me, Charlotte Carrick. This week, I am bringing you three monologues from writers who responded to our call for new work. If you would like to get in touch and hear your own work performed as part of our literature programme, you can do. Simply email info at elfm.co.uk and please do get in touch. First up, it's Renee. This is The Toaster, written and spoken by Renee Rossi Donlin. That's me. The toaster. He moved out the day before lockdown, thank God. If we were stuck in here until God knows when, with me having to listen to his stupid face chewing toast for one more day, of course the lawyers are shut so the divorce papers are taking forever. But he's gone. That's the main thing. He and his brewing tanks. <laughs> I hope Cindy likes the smell of warm yeast in her clothes. Not great timing, though. Of course Tom would choose the eve of a quarantine to have an affair. Everything I read online says divorced women should get out there. A. Where is there? B. Nobody can go anywhere now. They say the worst thing to do is sit at home and mope. They say you can get depression and self-loathing and spots. They say, call friends. I never really fit in with Cindy in that lot anyway. I've put it on my list to make new friends when this is all over. But by then I'll be depressed and spotty and no one will want to talk to me because I'll be old. So that's Tom's fault too. And so was the toaster. I had to throw out the toaster. Perfectly good toaster. I couldn't look at it anymore. Wedding present from someone. Every morning I walked in the kitchen and it was sat there on the counter, all shining and silver and smug. Tom made toast for breakfast every day for 13 years. Two slices for himself, never once asked if I wanted toast. It's a four-slice toaster. I put it on the curb with a little note saying, I work. No one took it. And I should have thought of this, but no one wants to bring a stranger's toaster in their home during Corona. So I watched it from my window, just getting covered in bus soot and pollen. And then the other day, I go out for my walk and I see someone's drawn eyes on the toaster, like with a marker pen, just these quick cartoon circle eyes. But I can see the eyes from my window. Every time I look out or I go to the shop, there's this sooty toaster staring up at me, like an urchin in a Dickens novel. Do you remember the storm last week? 
I couldn't take it. The goddamn toaster filling with rain, staring through the window at me. I put it in the garden under the awning just for the night. I was going to put it back on the curb. I, I was. But in the morning, the marker had run in the rain and it looked like it was crying. Again, Tom's fault. Because now I'm stuck feeling bad for this inanimate object. 13 years listening to him crunch his toast and he leaves the toaster. He takes the clock. He takes the big lamp. I don't even like toast. Now I'm stood in a garden looking at a toaster. The toaster sat under a hedge looking at me. It seemed to rain again. I took it inside. Oh no, except I couldn't just take it inside. No, of course, Tom, you know, he has to abandon us in a pandemic. So first got to disinfect this toaster before I bring it in. It's been on the pavement with all the people and the buses. Have you ever tried to wash the inside of a toaster? And his rainy face, I had to scrub it with paint varnish to get the tears off. And then actually I went a bit mad with the scrubbing and I, I scrubbed off a whole eye. So great, now I've blinded him. I dug in my sewing basket and I found some googly eyes and I slapped those on. It's hard to be mad at him with the googly eyes on. I was at first, oh, I was furious. It was like having Tom back in the house. Toaster sat on the couch while I'm cooking dinner. Toaster's stupid blank face. Toaster saying nothing when I stubbed my toe. We had a big fight about that. How does he know it was just a stubbed toe? He's in the other room. He didn't get up to check. I could have dropped a scissor on my foot. And I'm laying into him and I catch my reflection in his side. I was shouting at a toaster. Well, I was shouting at Tom, but this innocent toaster was looking back at me with its googly eyes, not understanding. I chat to toaster now. It doesn't talk back, don't worry. But I like nattering away to it, you know, while I fold the laundry. Sometimes I'll pop it on the sofa with me and we'll watch Bargain Hunt. We don't like the new lady with the hair. Toaster's just something to say good morning to and good night to while there's no one else until I can get out there, which I will eventually, of course. In the meantime, I'm less alone with my toaster than I've been in years. Quarantine Turner by Hannah Westall. A month or so ago, I was talking to my colleagues loudly. Big talk about how I hoped I would catch corona so I could have two weeks off work. Get paid to catch up on my ever-expanding list of TV shows to watch. If I could go back in time, I'd punch past me right in the face. Actually, I shouldn't say colleagues, ex-colleagues, because by foolishly wishing for a two-week paid holiday, I was actually left with an indefinite unpaid holiday. Have you ever noticed that when you can do whatever you want with your day, Suddenly, you don't want to do anything at all. Netflix is only fun when it's a distraction from more important tasks. But what a great time to take on a big project. Write a film, paint, start a podcast. What about surviving? Day 12 in lockdown and my mum has officially lost her mind. After me complaining day after day about not having crisps, which apparently are not a necessity, a want not a need, I strongly disagree. She suggested we make our own crisps. This woman that hates cooking even more than me, that fed us turkey dinosaurs three nights a week during childhood, no shade, I fucking love turkey dinosaurs, is now wanting to make her own crisps. Everyone's lost their goddamn minds. The most exciting part of my day is actually every other day, when my sister agrees to let me sleep in the double bed, and she takes the burden of Harry Potter's cupboard for a night. The most exciting prospect in the world right now is being able to increase our repertoire of activities to popping down to Tesco? Oh, to browse the aisles of snacks, the selection of frozen goods, the cheeses, an obligatory glance in the home section. It's like entering another world. 14 days in quarantine. Look at what's happened to us. And what an invention house party's been. Seeing all my favourite faces in screen form whenever I want. Except my best friend hates big group conversations, so I'm constantly just worried about her having a terrible time. But then we learnt that House Party got hacked. 
House Party is Hacked Party. All our data harvested from some unknown insidious purpose. I thought about not deleting it, though. Who can be bothered? This is why we can't have nice things. One thing I've realised is that I have some narcissistic tendencies. I'm spending a lot of time boo-hooing over having no income, but there's always someone less fortunate than yourself. I'm writing this in the hope that I'll stop being such a whiny bitch, but no promises. Heroes are out there on the front lines, which now resemble hospitals, supermarkets, care homes, schools. We see their value now, but will it hold once this is all over? Will the clap continue once we're allowed to go back on the piss seven nights a week? Who knows? Not me. I'm just up at 6am each morning with this tightness in my chest. The anxiety, the depression, they are loving this. And I don't give a thought to those hard workers until someone reminds me to. All I know how to do is write and send people memes and make a mental note of all the love I need to give once the world is open again. I thought I was built for staying inside, but maybe it was only good when it was a choice. the story about the ugly duckling you know the one with all the pretty ducklings and then in that group was the very noticeable very ugly one that only a mother could love yeah well that was me oh, for years i tried to fit in well fade into the background best possible place i felt that way no one would pay too much attention to me i mean it was hard at first but it was a role i became comfortable playing Better the devil you know, right? It was clear from early on I was not what my mother expected. You see, she's glamorous and from a family of oil paintings. Just beautiful creatures. The lot of them. She even produced oil paintings. My siblings. They are literally a chip off the old block, but I guess there just wasn't enough gloss to go around by the time it got to me. Or it could be that I'm the bastard child of our ex-neighbour, Mr Callan. If my sister Leah's logic's anything to go by. I always remember my mother saying, Well, you can't do out about your face, but you can be a kind person. Funny, even. Well, you'll, you'll have to make them warm to you. I mean, she has a way with words, but I knew she was genuinely worried about me going out into the world. If I'm being honest, I was too. But all of that changed when I met Jay. You see, in the midst of all my self-loathing, I never thought anyone had even seen me, never mind taking the time to look in my direction. So when Jay spoke to me, I didn't know what to do with myself. You see, Jay was handsome and tall, like Peter Crouch tall. And he liked footy, which kept his body in check. He had like a strange curtain hairstyle. Very Nick Carter, circa 96, but I was digging it. I liked him. And guess what? He liked me too. I just remember us staying up late, talking on the phone, doing our bestie Sunday's impressions. Strange, I know, but it worked a charm. He was kind, funny, and mine. All mine. He was the first person to love me and encourage me to love myself and feel confident about who I was. I dared to dream and I walked on the wild side of life. I felt like I had purpose and I was passionate about everything. I was alive. I just wish I could have given Jay what he had given me. I wish I had kept his cup overflowing when he was struggling. But that's the thing about depression. It doesn't care if you're in love or loved. It just steals the soul right in front of your eyes like a thief in the night. It's cruel. And heartless. You see, after everything that's happened to me, I still class myself as lucky. I shared my life with an incredible being who delivered me from darkness and showed me how great life could truly be. I have loved and been loved. Yes, I wish he was still here to tell his side of the story or tell me all the wonderful things we would do together, but he's not. And I've had to accept that. And I'm missing like crazy, but I'm so thankful that I had him in my life, albeit for a short time. 
You want my advice? Be open and allow yourself to be seen. Be heard. But most of all, allow yourself to be loved. Jay told me I was his oil painting. He saw the beauty in me that no one else has ever saw. I'm everything I am today because of his love. To you, I stand here alone, but trust me when I say I'm not. I am forever resting on the shoulders of my Jay. That was Oil Painting by Devin Johnson. And before that, Quarantina Turner by Hannah Westall and The Toaster by Renee Rossi Donlan. A big thank you to all of our contributors today. We love all things wordy here at Chapel FM. And if you would like to find out more, remember you can email us at info at elfm.co.uk. Until next time, stay safe and take care. Love the commas, love the apostrophes, love the colons and the question marks, love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, little, no, no, little, per amarti, no, no, little, per Hello and welcome to Wordy Birds. Wordy Birds is our regular spot for stories and for poetry here on East Leeds FM. Writers, poets, scribblers, Wordy Birds from Yorkshire and beyond give us what they've got. So, the first item in today's uh, Wordy Birds is a poem by, uh, by Pauline Kirk called Elderberry Wine. And it's read by Pam Hilton. Elderberry Wine by Pauline Kirk. Writing out the label, I pause, recalling a narrow track and berries in 2018. A witch of old in my kitchen, I siphon summers into demijohns. That July was good for strawberries, this a sour one needing extra sugar. Suddenly, in a saucepan lid, I see my grandmother's face distorted above a flowered pinny. Try my dandelion, she insists, and solving her Methodist guilt, adds, It's homemade, not alcoholic. Not alcoholic? A glass of Granny's dandelion would unfreeze a politician's hand. Her elderflower made our Christmas carols twice as jolly. Gran's arts were needed, too, with a gale off the lane and under her door. Sometimes, though, her magic was too strong. On hot nights, corks would pop in the scullery, setting us laughing in fright, while wine ran like revolutionary hordes towards us. I wonder how Gran would judge me now. She would scorn my new-fangled gadgets, having never fathomed a vacuum cleaner. Consider my central heating soft and my education beyond my station. Still, I think she would smile and pass me a glass of her elderberry, one witch to another. So thank you to Pam for reading that poem by Pauline Kirk. And now, the person we like to call our resident storyteller, Vicky Orton, tells us a story specially created for this programme, for Wordy Birds, for us. East Leeds FM. Today's story is a new story that I've composed especially for Chapel FM listeners, so I hope you enjoy it. My heart's pounding. I can hear the crowd roaring. This is it. 
the last race, the biggie. I know our team have got it in the bag, but hey, as they say, it's not over till the last race is swum. And this is my last race before I go up to seniors. I'm not just going to win this race. I'm going to smash my personal best. I'm going to leave a legacy that no one will be able to touch. Toes curled on the starting block. Waiting for that whistle, just waiting to to dive in. I'm not being big-headed. I mean, I know I'm good. It's all I've ever wanted to do. My dad said I was born swimming. It's my natural environment. I mean, both my brother and me, we had swimming lessons from about six weeks old. And although he's a good swimmer, long jump's really his thing. He's got nearly as many trophies for long jump as I have for swimming. I'm not posh or anything, but, well, my granddad's loaded, calls my mum his little princess, really annoys her. But anyway, he built a pool for us in our garden so I could practice whenever I liked. It's one of those natural swimming pools, you know, with the reeds and the mud and all of that kind of stuff. My dad doesn't really approve of chlorinated pools, says it's not good for your skin. And I love it. I love feeling the brush of the weeds against my legs. I love feeling the mud squelching up between my toes. My brother always teases me about my toes. They're webbed, you see. But, hey, I tease him about his luscious curls. I take after my dad. He takes after my mum. My dad spends nearly as much time in that pool as I do. We're quite a sporty family, really. Well, my mum, she used to be a shot put champion. She doesn't do it now, though. She plays golf and tennis and stuff like that. My mum doesn't really like water. Ball games are more her thing. And my dad doesn't really like ball games. But the one thing that we do play as a family is water polo. Such good fun. It's a great laugh. And it's the perfect compromise. Balls and water. But it's really weird, you know, that my mum doesn't like water because, well, she met my dad at the pool. I say at the pool. It was one of those outdoor pools right by my mum's house. Anyway, my mum was practising shot put. she got some big athletics competition coming up and she did what she says is her best distance ever. But she couldn't ever measure it because the ball landed in the pool. She was furious. She went stomping over to the water looking for it. She said it was her favourite shot put, her best ever shot put. And there was my dad just lounging about in the water. And my mum said, have you seen a ball come this way? Yeah, said my dad. Right splash it made too. Do you know, that is my best shot put ball. That is my lucky shot put. It's gold and everything. I noticed, said my dad. (sighs) What am I going to do? Tell you what, darling. I'll dive down and I'll get it for you. And so that's what my dad did. And as he handed the ball over to her, he was a right cheeky devil, you know. (laughs) He puckered up his lips and expected a kiss from her. But my mum snatched the ball from his hands and turned away. Why would I kiss you? You are a right slime bag. Too full of your own charm, if you ask me. But my dad was smitten. He knew that she was the girl for him and and there would never be anybody else. And so he set about trying to woo her, win her affections. Whenever the ball landed anywhere near the pool, then he'd pick it up and hand it to her which really, really annoyed her because it meant she couldn't measure the distance. And then he started inviting her to dinner. And slowly, my mum kind of fell for him too. Not that she was going to let him know. She was going to take advantage of as many dinners as she could. 
And one day, she even ordered Frog's leg just to really wind him up. But my dad, he was just cool and he insisted on paying for the bill that evening. And well, eventually, the two of them fell in love and they're still embarrassingly lovey-dovey together. Honestly, me and my brother, we just close our eyes and say, get a room. But there was a huge scandal when they got married. Oh, yeah, it was in all of the glossy magazines and everything. A lot of people said that it shouldn't be allowed. Others said that it wouldn't last. But I say, my dad still croaks love songs at my mum. It is so embarrassing. It's funny because they're quite a celebrity couple now and heads turn wherever they go. And it's not just because my dad is so much shorter than my mum. Whistle's gone. Right, dive in. Cool water. Head under. Pull those arms. Kick those legs. Head up. Breathe. Pull. Kick. Make the water work for you. Don't stop. Keep going. Pull. Kick. Pull. Kick. I touch the end. Racing turn. Pull, kick, harder, faster. This is what I was made to do. This is my legacy. The crowd are going absolutely wild. They're waving their banners. They're calling my name. They're calling the name of our team. I touch the edge. And the crowd are ecstatic. The trophy is ours. My mum is beaming ear to ear, fit to burst, and my brother and my dad are jumping up and down. What a fantastic way to end my time in tadpoles. Thank you, Vicky. Vicky Orton, for that story. I'm sure Vicky will be back with more for Wordy Birds later uh, in the month. That's all from Wordy Birds for now. Happy listening, happy writing, happy reading.